Welcome back to Jews on Film. My name is Harry Adensasser. I've got a degree in film studies. I'm a proud Jew. And uh, I am excited, as always, to be joined by my co-host, Daniel Zana. Hi, my name is Daniel Zana. I'm a video editor, documentary filmmaker, and a figment of Harry's imagination. Our guest today is a comedian and actor originally from Alaska, now based in Portland, Oregon, for a few more weeks. Becky Bronstein, welcome to Jews on <laughs> Film. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for much for uh, you know for agreeing to, to be on the podcast today. We'll be discussing the film Jojo Rabbit from 2019, written and directed by Taika Waititi, um, and based on the book Caging Skies by Christine Lunins. Um, Becky, before we kind of dive into the movie and what it's all about, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, what made you pick this movie? Yeah, um, I'm I'm just a huge fan of this film. Um, I love. I love Taika Waititi's work in general. I think I I think I've seen everything he's ever done. Um, <laughs> I would love to work with him. I mean, yeah, like I thought this film in particular, um, coming from the perspectives of someone who is Jewish, Taika is, you know, I, I don't know if we're using half. I would describe myself as half Jewish, and and he therefore is as well. Um, so to see um, something so uh, the the material is obviously so so shocking, and so I mean it's it's about you know Nazi Germany. What could be more controversial? But to see it done in such a skillful comedic way, I just thought this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, like it grabbed my attention right away. Yeah, no that that that's definitely a tightrope act, and I'm hoping that we're going to have a long discussion just about the way that the Holocaust has been portrayed in film and what that could look like and how to pull that off. But I remember, you know, as soon like reading the logline, and we'll get into the synopsis of this movie. But before it came out, when he kind of, you know, when he announced that he was going to be doing this project, it's, you know, Taika is casting himself as Hitler himself, and he's playing the imaginary friend of a young boy, and you're supposed to kind of be sympathetic. And I think the movie ultimately is very successful at, you know, striking that tone. And I think I, I did have some thoughts and questions about what I wanted to see more of, and maybe maybe I'm demanding too much from the movie. I think that'll be part of the discussion. But it really was, I think it's a fascinating in the realm of, you know, Jewish films that we've covered, and specifically with the Holocaust. Like Daniel, we've covered the Holo a couple Holocaust films, I would say, on this yep. podcast. None that ever had such a cavalier and I think comedic tone for at least part of it. So it's a, it was a really interesting watch the first time I saw it and rewatching it before this, uh, before recording here. I was I was fascinated by what I thought you know, he pulled off pretty well and, you know, whatnot. Yeah. I mean, like you said, whenever you're touching uh, the Holocaust, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big one, right? And, and being able to do it in a way that approaches it, you know, we, we, like you said, Harry, we've, we've done Survivor, which is sort of a grisly take on it. We've done The Producers, which is, I would say, like uh, a predecessor to this movie in a sense of that, like it, like Mel Brooks says, you know, the best way to approach talking about Hitler is to make fun of him. And obviously Taika is a student of that school of thought. And then you have Inglorious Bastard, which is like this revenge porn fantasy of just like killing Nazis, but also grounded in a lot of humor, um, but much more grisly violence. I, I feel like this film, you know, there are certain scenes where it is much more successful. And like you said, Harry, some scenes where it left me kind of wanting more to sort of commit to a position uh as opposed to like committing to the bit um but uh, we'll get into it for sure um is it too soon to ask for the imdb summary harry i'm a little rusty yeah no let's go for it i've got plenty i want to discuss with the movie itself so sure. let's just let's get into it 
So a uh, quick IMDb summary this week. Short outlines bare bones of the plot, but hopefully it'll ground the conversation. Uh, and it reads, a young German boy in the Hitler youth whose hero and imaginary friend is the country's dictator is shocked to discover that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. It's more or less. What I, what I think it does interesting is, I mean, this is not such a stretch because Jojo obviously is the protagonist, but I think one of the things that I'm excited to discuss about this movie is Obviously, this is a, a Jew. Well, not obviously. We're going to debate how Jewish of a movie this is. But our protagonist, for the most part, is Jojo, right? It, it's almost, it's finding, it's not, I want to say finding sympathy for a Nazi character. But I think the, the movie makes the point by the end of it that Jojo is not and was never really a Nazi and never actually believed right. that. But this is a movie that has a Jewish character who I actually think, I'll, 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 I'm going to tease a little bit what I was going to talk about later, because I think when I saw it originally in 2019, I had the the response that, you know, this was not so much a Jewish story because it was really just about a Nazi character learning to be sympathetic to the Jews. Where is that Jewish perspective? The second time, I, I actually thought that we get a lot from Elsa and we get to actually share in her experience. That's one of the places where I was wondering if how different the movie would be if it was more about her. But I think this this synopsis definitely relays that this is Jojo's story uh, through and through. So I'm excited to discuss that perspective. And I think we should do that right after the break. Is it cool if we take our break now, Daniel, and jump back into the movie? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's you got to say we'll be right back. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Becky Bronstein to discuss the film Jojo Rabbit. Harry, Becky, where to begin? I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I, maybe we could just start at this idea of, of the movie we touched a little bit before the break about other movies we've talked about and how they've talked about uh, Hitler and how they've approached it. You know, how do we feel about the, the portrayal of, of the man himself in this movie? And, you know, you talked about it in the summary, Harry, but... You know, for people who have not seen the movie, Hitler is this imaginary character that sort of acts as Jojo's conscience and sometimes is very playful and joyful. And by the end of the movie, when Jojo has his sort of change of heart towards Jewish people, Hitler gets into like full yelling and screaming mode. But how do we feel about the portrayal in this film? I mean, I think it's so important the way that Hitler is portrayed in the film and the way that Taika does this, because we haven't we obviously have not seen you know this period of history the holocaust nazi germany portrayed through a comedic lens very often it's few and far between and it's such a risk but i think that the risk he took really paid off because from from the very opening sequence actually when you have the archival footage of people you know screaming and yelling and cheering at nazi rallies under you know the german version of you know i want to hold your hand by the beatles which is come give me a dina hand they were right. very big in germany i'm not going to go off on a tangent but this opening sequence sort of immediately like takes the power away from from the Nazis by showing them as this ridiculous pop culture craze and showing Hitler as this like you know as a as a pop star sort of and and then when he goes into that sort of you know comedic portrayal of Hitler himself you just he has lost all credibility all power all all you know power to, to scare you because he's now just this very ridiculous character that doesn't even exist you know and the, and i think the 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 balance between not portraying him as a good guy i don't think that's what's happening at all you know but seeing the all these sides of him coming out just makes him less of a scary figure and more of a, a clown you know which 
It's helpful. <laughs> and, and he plays him. And, and first, I want to mention, you know, Taika Waititi, we, we mentioned is Jewish, and that's a very conscious choice. Mm-hmm. I think there's a quote, and I was trying to find it, where he says, you know, what could what would have made you know Hitler angrier than, you know, me, this Polynesian Jewish clown portraying right. him right. in the movie. But we mentioned he, he's also the, uh, he's like the imaginary figure in the mind of this, you know, Jojo is probably like 10 years old or something. And I think the idea is this is kind of how he, he's plays him like a 10 year old, you know, like uh, Hitler is so ridiculous. And so, you know, you know, uh, impatient and just like annoyed. And I think the movie very early on, especially because I think this tone, you know, we were very hesitant. We spoke about, you know, how are you going to do this comedic, uh, this comedic representation of such a dark time in history of such a dark character. And I think you were right to point out that the movie immediately with that, you know, Beatles cover and just with you know, Hitler skipping around his room and, you know, everything that's going on, it just tells you, like, this is going to be ridiculous. You know, we're not going to toe the line. And I think the movie ultimately does hit some more emotional beats. And I think that kind of hits even harder because it, it's so disarmed you in the beginning and it reminds you of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I think that movie toys with, you know, how much does it actually want to get too deep and show you? But it definitely starts off in the beginning here and just tells you, like, we are laughing at this ridiculous person. We're disarming him much in the same way that I think the producers did, like you were saying, uh, Daniel, about Mel Brooks, just saying, you know, how can we put put down this scary figure? Let's laugh at him as much as we can. And he's definitely the object of our laughter. I don't know. I feel like the threat of violence or the, or the it seems like it's a very small movie. Like, it all takes place in, like, two or three different set pieces. We have, like, the you know, the office where Jojo works, we have his house, we have like the camp and then like the little village and everything like that. It all feels very small. And I feel like the threat of violence and death is somewhat abstract until sort of the end of the movie where like he actually sees, you know, soldiers and corpses and things like that. Because, you know, at the beginning when they're in this camp and he's becoming a man and he's getting his Hitler youth dagger and and his coming of age and, you know, uh, they're talking about all this stuff in sort of fantastical terms and they're drawing out the Jew on the chalkboard and all this stuff. It's, it seems very abstract for a little kid. And it's very exciting though, because, you know, the girls get to do this and the boys get to do this and it gives them like a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. It just seems that like, it's very uh, tame in in some regard. Well, I I was gonna say, I like how very kind of microcosmic this story is because you, you so often see this big, huge view of like world war two, the Holocaust, what does this mean? But you don't often see, you know, what that meant to individual people in a very small, like slice of life basis. And you, you wonder, you know, how did everyday German citizens go, go along with this, go down this path? How did so many people just, you know, go with what Hitler and the Nazis were doing. And like, this sort of gives you a, a very, I mean, obviously a very comedic sort of peek into how, I mean, because you have these kids who are being indoctrinated, who are going to these programs and, and being told God knows what, you know, you have all these people who are afraid for their lives. Like you kind of see the lens of like how that does. And and I, I'm scared to say is maybe still happening a little bit in the world today with like indoctrination and, and, you know, but yeah, I, I, I like that it focuses in on like just a couple of people in a small slice for sure yeah when you describe it like that i think what you make clear to me now is that this movie is not just a comedic take i think on a holocaust film which i think we've seen in a lot of other movies do but i actually think it's it's almost like a kid's movie and it's it's like a coming of age story not just about a kid but very much in this kid's perspective and i think taika if you asked him you know what he was trying to get out of this movie i think part of it is it's just showing how children are corrupted by you know these forces of their parents there's there's that quote about, like, someone's talking to Jojo, and they're like, You're not a Nazi, Jojo. 
You're a ten-year-old kid who likes fasticas and likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. But you are not one of them. I think it's more of a movie about how a kid can be roped into things he doesn't understand than it actually is trying to interrogate, you know, the atrocities of the Holocaust and any of the kind of, you know, macro machinations. Like, I think we get some adult characters who and act very, I think, childish to a certain yeah, extent yeah. and kind of express themselves. And I think maybe the simplistic way that his story, you know, ultimately becomes about him in some ways rebelling against the machinations around him and learning to express himself. I know one of the notes we have in our sheet is about like the uniforms and, you know, the uniforming and how that changes. And he's someone who literally yes. gets colorful. And in some ways, I think that's also very kind of through the mind of a child, seeing that very clear black and white expressive. Like what, what I'm getting to is I think we're interrogating this movie and how much violence it shows and how much it really addresses, you know, directly head on kind of what's going on with the Holocaust. But I think if this were a Holocaust movie, you know, writ large, I think that's what it would be confronting. But this is more a story of a child's resistance and kind of aging out of his childish fascination with, you know, belonging to something. And I, right. it, it's right. interesting. It, it just makes me feel like the movie's not trying to do, you know, the Holocaust movie, so to speak, that even something like The Producers is really trying to confront. I like that idea that, like... You're kind of making me rethink it like, you know, you're setting your benchmark because I'm like, it's not quite a, you know, as far as Holocaust movies, we don't have the barbed wire shots. We don't have the skinny, you know, we don't have like the, unfortunately, these like uh, staples of like Holocaust film, the depressing black and white footage. But I'm like, well, maybe it, I shouldn't set that expectation that it should include these things. Maybe it's just a, like you said, Harry, coming of age story. So do we have a girl who becomes a love interest, yes. Do we have a boy who's like finding himself? Do we have the butterflies in the stomach and all the cute stuff and like the dance sequences and things like that? So maybe if it's like, all right, just set aside all that stuff and think about it. And as a set piece or like a period piece that happens to take place in this, I think I might be able to like approach the discussion of it a little bit better so i'm going to try to put those glasses on moving forward you know because otherwise i'm just going to be like let down that it doesn't have this or that or didn't you know so i'll do my best here i think that's true that's a good point and i mean i think since the way that you know the average citizen during that time in in germany and you know occupied countries they they weren't probably going to be incredibly informed on what was going on at the time but you right. did have these incredibly outlandish these prejudices these stereotypes like you see in the film thanks yeah. Serpent tongue. Serpent tongue. Yeah. Scales. Yeah. Scales. Because once upon a time, a Jewish man mated with a fish. Oh. We Aryans are 1,000 times more civilized and advanced than any other race. Now get your things together, kids. It's time to burn some books. These are based on real things that people really believe, you know, and to sort of see the transformation of the kid who sort of blindly believes that stuff is kind of a little bit entertained and excited by it. And then he meets Elsa, this actual Jewish person, and finds out, wait a minute, you know, maybe they don't have horns, maybe they're not scary demons, like, and to see him go through that transformation, I think is very hopeful, because you can kind of see the person of today who maybe thought some interesting things about the people around them that they've learned from the media, you know, maybe meeting some of those people and finding out, okay, maybe those people don't have horns. I, I think that's a beautifully optimistic thing. <laughs> it, it's certainly optimistic. I think what it pitches as a kind of, you know, solution and, you know, there, there obviously is no, you know, kind of clear solution to just people stuff, you know, who are guilty of just these awful prejudices. And again, this is, we're, we're acknowledging that this is kind of 
a low level of some of the awful stuff that happened in the Holocaust, right? This is more of the kid who was unaffected and kind of roped in. But it really pitches that solution of almost like if you met one Jew, if you got to know someone, if you kind of related to it personally instead of abstractly, like you were saying earlier, Daniel, I think... Because I was thinking about, you know, when you were going through some of like the tropes of like, what do we expect from the Holocaust? Right. And I think yeah. there's a confrontation with violence that, I you know, you would have expected or just mm-hmm. a personification of evil that this movie really lacks. Like the sobering moments that happen to Jojo in this movie really are on a personal level. It's the Jew that he meets in his attic, but it's also his mother dying. You know, it's not like he, he never actually is confronted with the worst of the suffering. I mean, he he honestly doesn't even see it so much from Elsa. Right. I think you can make the case that she kind of lets him in on her life. And especially when she opens up about her, uh, about Nathan, about her boyfriend who was killed, I think he starts to see kind of the broader scope of it. But for the most part, it, it almost feels like his transformation comes from making a friend and then just seeing the way that this affects his parent, like his mother and just his family. It, it's very personal. It's It's not, you know, it's not addressing a solution that kind of, is on a macro scale. He doesn't get to see all of the bad that's happening. It just, he feels it personally. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. Do you think that like if Jojo met more Jews after the movie ended, that he would feel similarly about them or is his, his like trust reserved just for Elsa? Yeah, I, I, I think that's I agree with question. the question. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, because I think it's it's part of, again, like no one is asking this movie to propose a solution to just sure, honestly sure. ongoing anti-Semitism, but yeah. like, it's it feels very particular you know it doesn't feel like it's really addressing you know and that's that's i think one of the challenging things about setting this movie during the holocaust you know because it's a kind of story that can almost happen in any you know environment and i think we personally think of the holocaust especially outside of this like horrific thing and that's i think where people get uncomfortable with like you know you could have this told this story about you know school kids bullying someone in like modern time it's like you but you decided to put it in this huge uh, like in this in this huge context and didn't address, you know, what's going on around you and kind of created this like microcosmic universe in that world without opening up the the world too much to like. And, and if you're going to make that decision and tell a very loaded story in a very intense environment, you know, should we be demanding that you tell a Holocaust movie that does get larger than just this boy's coming right. of age story and learning, you know, maybe these people don't have horns and I should be you know nicer to my friend. Am I demanding too much? Like, is that too much to ask for this movie or can a movie exist and just, you know, use the Holocaust as a framework the way you'd use any right. kind of historical context? I feel like there's definitely the particular movie escapes me, but I feel like this trope of like the person who has preconceived notions about an other. So it's, I feel like there must be like a movie in the South set in the, like the fifties where there's like a racist person who hates all black people and then meets a black person and then decides, Oh, right. you know what? They're just like us. Like, there's got to be, I, the name escapes me, but I feel like that is a, uh, you know, a tale as old as time, unfortunately, like hate is a timeless thing. Um, so I think that, you know, that character growth and things like that just happens to be set here, uh, during the war. It is interesting. I feel like, I feel like we're going to come back to this. Like I may have adjusted my expectations, but I think when you're putting like Hitler on the poster and you're having the director dress up and stuff like that, there's kind of an expectation that you're going to address all these like hot button issues and we just kind of like see a person grow. So, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of weight, you know, that you have to like answer this question or solve this dilemma of anti-Semitism, of, of hatred and things like that in a way. And I, that's a tough act, you know? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of gravity, though, in some of the small moments that you get, particularly from Elsa when she's talking about her family, when she's talking about, you know, saying, look, my whole family got put on trains and sent away and they never came back. And, you know, I've been hiding in this place, hiding in that place. People have been, you know, shuffling me here and there. And I mean, you know, she's just very casual about her boyfriend has died. I mean, like you get like these these very short but very powerful piercing moments you know mm-hmm. like the moment when when jojo's mother died i mean the, the shoes oh, like these God. tiny little moments in this otherwise sea of you know this ocean of comedy 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 and then these tiny moments are so powerful then because right. they they pierce through so suddenly and i, I think that is very effective in this. Oh, and he's like yeah. tying her shoes that's like the first thing he thinks to do and it's just uh Cause she like tied his yeah. shoes earlier. It's like a callback to that. And I'm just like, Ugh. cause he has to grow up. He has to learn to take care of himself now. I think, Oh, Harry. Yeah. I think you kill it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you make a good point. And I, I said, uh. by the way, I, I'll tangent. Cause then I want to make that point, but the movie Please. really like knowing that that scene was going to happen. And that scene is really like the best scene in the movie when he's kind of following the butterfly and then confronts her shoes. But the movie, the entire time I noticed it now expecting that scene it like always frames Jojo as being on one level kind of with her shoes. And it does that a bunch of times. Like okay. they're playing in like the park and she's like walking right. on the top and he's like on the bike. And yeah, it was a very, he, he teases it really well, but before, you know, jumping into there, I just, I wanted to talk about what you were talking Becky about the way that this movie actually does open its world a little bit. And I, I think you make a good point. Like it reminded me of a scene where Rosie is talking to Elsa about, you know, and like you said, Elsa was saying, you know, I just keep hiding and like, she's asking her about her experiences and that she doesn't like, you know, she doesn't know what to do after this. And Rosie kind of tells her you have to survive because as long as you're alive, like they don't win. And I actually, I think those are really powerful scenes. I think the movie is sometimes only exploring the, that world outside of Jojo. You know, Jojo's not present for those moments and it's because he's young. You know, the movie not only is telling a child's story, but it recognizes he's a child. And I think that's what I noticed this time, which the more memorable scenes for me on the first watch were the Jojo ones. So I actually didn't think that the movie took the time to do that. But I did clock a couple of those where Elsa's talking about, like you said, her family getting on the trains and what that's like for her. And it made me a little bit wish for for even more of that, you know, even more of that perspective to really. But like we said, the movie's not about that, but I think it does its due diligence a little bit in just telling the audience this is about more than just this kid getting over his biases. Like there are real stakes and real people who died and real people whose lives were, you know, utterly destroyed. Yeah. For sure. And one thing this this film also does that you don't often see is put some power in the hands of of Elsa, the the Jewish girl who's hiding in the walls, right? Like she I mean, she's she's tough. Like she she puts a knife to his throat, like she threatens him physically. She I, I love that she told him, um, you know, because he he thought, you know, the Aryan race were superior Jews or these weak little creatures, and she's like, Oh really? There are no weak Jews. I am descended from those who wrestle angels and kill giants. We were chosen by God. You were chosen by pathetic little men who can't even grow a full mustache. You just don't see that kind of thing, I think. And I, I just was excited by that. Yeah, she's a That's badass. It. I think, uh, you know, I think she's so quick and so, you know, she's able to like meet his, he's just parroting lines. He's like heard from books and from camp and he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I think she's like, so she's got that, that trademark Jewish wit, you know, and like just the, the, yeah. the, 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 the thought and, and just being able to like meet him where he's at and then kind of one up him very quickly. Her 
classmate was Jojo's older sister who passed away. So she just sees him as her friend's little brother and he, she never really feels threatened by him. I think only later in the film Mm -hmm. when, you know, he's, he potentially has this ability to like turn her in and they get interrogated. Does she realize that like in order to survive, she needs to kind of play the game a little bit and, and, you know, befriend Jojo initially because of that. But I think later on they do have some kind of, uh, unique connection and 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 uh, authentic, you know, uh, connection. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a tall order, kind of positioning a movie like adjacent to the Holocaust, telling a Holocaust film and representing a Jewish character and not as a victim, but giving her some agency. Like, I think, and, you know, I think a common theme for me was having a particular takeaway the first time I watched it and then kind of learning to, to see it differently a little bit on the second time. But, you know, that first scene where Elsa's introduced, they frame her like this horror monster. And it, it's right. literally, and again, we're in Jojo's perspective and that's oh, yeah, what with she the is. Hands and, but yeah. she's like running around confidently, right? Her fingers curl around the doorway, like... She is supposed to be terrifying. And I think I watched that and I'm like, this is a real person that was suffering. Like, why aren't, why isn't this movie showing me? Like, she's, she would be terrified. Like, and I think I, I took a, not offense. I just, I took a, a step back kind of seeing this character who I have always been, you know, known to be, you know, this, this kind of idea of a character, a Jew in hiding, who I've always seen to be a victim, you know, thinking of like Inglorious Bastards and that first scene where, you know, the Jews are kind of like hiding underneath and it's like, they oh, are right. completely, yeah. they have no agency and they are yeah. so, so such victims. And yeah. I was, I was upset at the movie. I'm like, you're telling people that these characters were running around the house all, you know, comfortably and cavalierly, but like, that's just, I that can't be the reality. And I actually now think, and especially after what you said, Bucky, that it's really cool that they were able to, at least in this movie, which we know is hyper real and ridiculous and satirical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we can have a Jewish character who's like not just kind of settling in as a victim. I mean, in that big scene when, you know, the Nazis are coming into the house looking for her. And again, that's her most victim, you know, victim-y scene because she's hiding in the wall. You're hoping that they don't open the door. But she doesn't just hide there. She takes it into her own hands and she comes out and she pretends that she's Jojo's sister and she right. owns up and she gets yeah. the passport out. And it's, it's actually a very cool and clever subversion that if you're going to have one Jewish character in the movie... It's nice that she actually did have a little bit of agency. And I, I'm actually a little more excited about that than I was the first time where I was like, yeah. you know, give her more victim. Like, that's not who she is. Right. But it's kind of cool. Yeah, she's incredibly courageous. And, and honestly, just to do that, when you think of all the many, many people who actually did do that in real life, I mean, hiding like that, the, the word hiding doesn't even quite say it because like you have to have incredible optimism that this is one day going to end, first of all, because if you yeah. think this is not going to end, you're not going to bother to try to conceal yourself, you know, to, to actually live every day, all day, all the time in in a place that where if you were discovered you'd be killed i mean the people are risking their lives keeping you in your house in their house you never know when or if they're going to give you up you're living on god knows what kind of rations i mean like that takes incredible strength of will and and courage and the fortitude and belief you know so like to to think about the the people who do that and to portray them as as just you know terrified victims i mean absolutely people were terrified and they they were technically victims but like but yeah, that that takes you know an incredible amount of uh, I want to say chutzpah to to sort of sure. be able to survive something like that. Can we uh, pivot just ever so slightly to that. talk sort of about our like secondary characters? Because I feel like we we talked about how like it's a tiny world and we have sort of our like actors troupe of like our characters. You know, we have Sam Rockwell as Captain K, who's sort of this. Uh, he's seen battle and he came back. He got. Uh, some kind of injury so that he's not able to serve anymore because he has an eye injury. We have Scarlett Johansson as, uh, as Jojo's mom, Rosie. Um, 
We have Rebel Wilson as Fraulein Rahm. Uh, Stephen Merchant as Dirtz, uh, the head of the Gestapo. And then JoJo's best bud, Yorkie, who I like love. Can't forget Yorkie. Yeah. My was, favorite character in the film. <laughs> I mean, so good. he's like... I, I don't know. He's just one of these best buds that you just kind of like his ride or die. Like he's always there for Jojo and like, but he's just, he just has this, I mean, obviously he doesn't have a Jew hiding in his you know house as far as we know. So he's probably leading a much more like, it, it's, it's kind of like a sliding door situation where like what would have happened if Jojo didn't grab the grenade and didn't have a Jew, like he would end up kind of like Yorkie, maybe worse, but like, you know, He's just very excited about life. And whenever he sees Jojo, he comes in like his cardboard suit and he gives him like a little hug and there he's completely, I just loved it. I thought like that, that sort of cuteness and innocence that we saw in Yorkie was very adorable. He was incredible. That kid should have won an Oscar. At least been nominated. I want, I want yeah. to see him do other things. This cast is incredible, by the way, just overall. I mean, like the names you just named off and, and Alfie Allen, who's sort of the, the the tryhard sort of assistant Sam Rockwell, like he's, oh, yeah. he was in Game of Thrones. He's Lily Allen's brother. Yes. I could go down another tangent, but like <laughs> no, I especially that kid, like um, Archie Yates, wonderful young actor. He was so incredible, so committed. I believed him every second. He was just like a little adult, just just weary and like doing his job. And oh yeah, like I mean, I I thought he had just incredible natural comedic timing, and I I hope he does many other things. Archie, if you're out there, I'm a fan. Yeah, he's listening. I agree. And I think, the, you know, like you, you said, you know, what his experience would have been like if he mm-hmm. hadn't, you know, been around the Jew. But yeah, he actually is the most sobered one at the end. Like he's just saying, yeah, I think they lied to us. Like, he, remember, he runs into, right. oh, uh, that's right. into Jojo at the end. He's like, I think he goes, I don't think Jews are so bad. And and he's like, you know, whatever. He, Jojo right. tells him about his Jew. He goes, remember that Jew I told you about? Oh, yeah, I still have her. She's basically my girlfriend now. Oh, good for you, Jojo. I'm a girlfriend. But... You know, she's Jewish. There are bigger things to worry about than Jews, Chacha. Yeah. It's ridiculous, and it's a great final note to kind of redeem a character, because I think if we left the movie thinking that Yorkie was still a Nazi, we would have been sad, because I mm-hmm. think Taika knew he was the most <laughs> yeah. likable character in the movie. But, like, I think, yeah, I think he has that kind of... Uh, he puts that into perspective that like these adults have been lying to us and maybe, you know, maybe again, it's, it's probably a little too simplistic for most people. Like, oh, maybe people should just sure. have gotten, you know, self-aware and been like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't hate everyone for no reason. That's obviously not real life, but it was a nice note to, uh, to close out his character arc by the end of the film. Totally. Yeah. The likability of all of these characters is incredible, especially mixed with some of the terrible things that they're, they're doing and saying. And I think that's another thing that you see with somebody who's, very masterful with comedy mm-hmm. and sort of intelligent about you know maintaining perspective and like you've got i mean just like let's talk about steven merchant as, yeah yeah you yeah. know the, representing the gestapo they can't get anything done because they're spending 20 minutes saying heil hitler a million times <laughs> yeah. every time they walk into the i mean that is captain klinsendorf heil hitler heil hitler you know, Freddie Finken. Heil Hitler. 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 So, did I miss anything? No, no, we were just Heil Hitlering the boy, and then Heil Hitlering yourself, and then, of course, Heil Hitlering Freddie Finkel, and now we're in the midst of a routine inspection. That's wonderful, because they were all about, like, this sort of, like, order and bureaucracy. Right. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that's a wonderful angle. <laughs> what's what's going on here? Sorry, we were just high hitlering you, and then you were high hitlering us, and then blah, blah, blah. so now here we are. We were just about to do, you know, that whole it, that that felt very like Mel Brooksian a little bit, like sort of zany and like over the top, which I loved. 
And he's just like this very tall, gawky, like Gestapo, not at all intimidating, just a bunch of like oafish British or one can presume, you know, British actors that we know and love from like The Office and things like that. It's, um, yeah, it was very funny. And then like, you know, uh, Deertz comes into JoJo's room and he sees like the poster and he's like, hey, oh yeah, I love that one. Like he, the poster of Hitler on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that, yeah, definitely fun characters. Yeah, it, it's, it was one of the things that I also clocked that I was waiting for the movie to just, again, if you're representing Nazis, they're probably the easiest villains in all of cinema because like, you know, whatever, especially in American cinema, I should say. I mean, everywhere in the world, but like they are, they have become kind of that targeted, you know, shorthand victim. Like you're making a video game, you want people to hate the characters, just make them Nazis kind of thing. And it is interesting the way that this movie plays with, because you were saying, Becky, that every character is so endearing. And a lot of them even have redemption arcs, like Sam Rockwell, who's like this, you know, presiding, you know, Nazi. He's kind of redeemed at the end. And honestly, Stephen Merchant, his character, Deertz, was the only one I could kind of point to where I said, like, I guess if there was a villain in this movie, you know, someone that we like the Gestapo and they talk about, you know, they find these Jews, they kill them like and they're looking like, again, I think the movie undercuts it a little bit by making them so ridiculous. And that's part of the satire. And maybe, you know, Taika said, I don't need any you know, Nazi villains in my movie. I just want to make them all look stupid. And just, this right. is just a movie. We're making them look stupid. Obviously in real life, these people are awful, but like, we're just laughing at them. You know, that, that feels to me like more of the approach because I don't think that there's like a single, you know, evil kind of Nazi character, you know, maybe Rebel Wilson's character is like ridiculous. And she literally hands a kid like a bomb and straps <laughs> yeah. it to his chest. At yeah, the end exactly. Says, Go hug the, the enemy. Like, so she is particularly <laughs> yeah. awful, maybe. But other than that, like this movie really avoids those classic characterizations of like, we're not going to have a face to any of this evil. Like, again, maybe Hitler at the end, because he's kind of ranting at the end. He says, why are you turning? Like, no, you have to present me. And but but that's not this movie's agenda. It, it's going to make them look dumb. It's not going to make them look evil, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer, though, because like Deertz, like you said, is this personification of evil. And then Captain K at the end, who we discover it's safe to say that he's like a closeted Nazi, right? Maybe. I mean, him, him, I and uh, uh, him and Finkel are kind of looking at each other, and then he has this sort of like fantastic. They almost fantastic, have that moment where they, kiss. yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they have this like flamboyant outfit at the end, and he rolls in, and he ends up like saving JoJo's life, uh, and honestly, he gets executed. Whereas, like at the end of the movie, we see Deertz kind of walk away, being held by prisoners or by uh, soldiers, and I would have loved to hear mm -hmm. like an off-screen gunshot similar. But it's unfortunate that like Captain K is the one who gets the bullet, whereas Deers walks away and maybe presumably runs away to South America like the rest of these, you know, Nazi war criminals. Who knows? I, I wonder why, if that was necessary for Captain K to have this redemption arc, like would this story have been more effective if we see this Nazi person who's sending these kids and feeding them propaganda, teaching them how to like as an audience did I want him to just get some comeuppance or was the point like, oh, look not all Nazis are bad right, people or right. like there were some good people. Like I get it in the context of the movie. And I think if this wasn't set in the Holocaust and this was like a redemption arc for someone and it's like, Oh wow, even a bad person can protect a child and knows when it's too late. But I think that was one where I'm not ready to give up the, should this movie have taken our, you know, the face of the Nazis and made him like, Oh, look, don't worry. He's redeemable. Like he was a Nazi war hero who was training children to kill themselves. Like I just, right. I don't think I need that. That I think is the one place where I'll say, I don't know if I needed that arc, but uh, gotcha. I wonder if you guys agree with that. He was important to Jojo's arc, I think, because like you have him sort of being this, this blind fanatic as his mom even describes him fanatic. Right. And then he goes through the transformation of meeting Elsa, realizing Jews don't have horns, et cetera. 
And then he kind of sees this all sort of breaking down. And I think seeing his sort of, I don't know, scoutmaster, his his leader there kind of also um, kind of, you know, not snitch into the Gestapo and, oh, okay, maybe this guy. I think it, it unsettles him to the point where he can accept that, hey, maybe this isn't right. By the time that, you know, um, Yorkie tells him like, yeah, maybe we picked the wrong side here, man. Like, I think he's already like seen enough to go, okay, yeah, maybe everything around me isn't what I thought. Yeah. Right. Like everyone is faking it and like blindly. So speaking of Captain K and his awesome outfit, I kind of did want to talk about <laughs> costumes and uniforms and identity or yeah, just let's, let's talk about uniforms a little bit because I feel like, you know, there's so much about clothing and that helps people kind of like put people in a certain box in terms of what they, how they look, where they belong, things like that. You know, Jojo is wearing this outfit for like the Nazi youth. We have Hitler in his sort of uh, khaki, khaki Nazi outfit. I think I read somewhere that in designing the costume, they had his like riding pants be like a little bit comically larger than normal because it's like part of Jojo's like 10 year old imagination and he doesn't actually know what their pants are so they were like very he, very baggy pants and there's that scene where he asks he, he says to jojo yeah, he goes, yeah. what do you think of these pants not wide enough <laughs> and then, you know and then we have this like other other stuff in terms of costume we have um you know like we talked about the shoes and things like that um and then the cape towards the end that i think is it jojo who sketched it or is it captain k who sketched this outfit that ultimately sketched, yeah, yeah. okay but you know just calling out all that stuff, I think, you know, um, and, you know, we don't see any yellow stars, you know, those are, uh, for those not aware, you know, the Jews had to wear yellow stars to identify themselves. I think in this situation, it probably would not have been appropriate for Elsa to be wearing it because she was in hiding. Um, but yeah, what do we think about all this and what does it represent to, to you? I, I think it's definitely about breaking free of the conformity that we were talking about, you know, this kind of blindly following. Like, I think when you were talking about clothing and, you know, I, we, we spoke about Rosie's shoes a lot, those very right. bright red shoes that are yeah. instantly identifiable. It's why we know by the end when he bumps into her, her feet hanging, we know exactly who it is because they've made the point to point it out. And she's one who is resisting, you know, what everyone's going along with. I think this movie was definitely confronting that question of, you know, people who blindly followed, who didn't have a strong beliefs, but they were just kind of following orders, doing what they're told. And it, it celebrates the people who pushed back against that and resisted that. So obviously there's Rosie. And I think it's, you know, more than a little bit symbolic when Captain K kind of puts on that outfit, that very colorful outfit, because it, it's, you know, it synchronizes with his time of just, I'm not going to give into all of this. And obviously he's still defending the city, you know, fighting as a German, but, but even by the end there, it's like, I think the more color is introduced and I wonder if we could even see this with Jojo. Like, I guess he gets the scars on his face, right? That brings some red to his face. So maybe there's some color pointing through him, but I think breaking out of the uniform is definitely breaking out of this system, not giving into just sort of blindly what you're telling, what's being told to you. Yeah. It does kind of codify the characters in a a strong way too. It's kind of like very like Wes Anderson in that way where you sort of instantly know who and what everybody is by looking at them. They're they're Everyone's in a uniform. You've got like, you know, Jojo's mom. She, she, she's very flamboyant dresser. She, she wears pants, right. You know, like, which wasn't incredibly common then. Like she's like, she's very playful and just sort of like, and she, she actually transforms into you know, Jojo's dad there for that scene where she sort of paints her face with soot and puts on his jacket and like sort of, because so she's sort of creating this world for, for Jojo. and Jojo, I know you miss me, but I'm, I'm out there trying to make a difference in the world. 
And while I'm gone, I need you to take care of my Rosie. Can you do that? I mean, they, they do use like costume and, and changes from, you know, from this to that to kind of show you the, the change in characters. And that's such a subtle detail that, that works very well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like Jojo, you know, early on, you know, there's a scene where Jojo is supposed to kill a rabbit and doesn't want to do it because he feels sympathy for this rabbit. And so it ends up running off and he has this whole crisis of uh, manhood and, you know, decides with Hitler's convincing imaginary Hitler's convincing that he should go back and be a be a man. And so he grabs a grenade and it ends up exploding and he goes to the hospital and he has this, you know, horrendous scar. And I, I would almost say that, that that becomes like his kind of uniform in a sense that it differentiates him from the rest of the Hitler youth. Um, it kind of mirrors in some way, you know, maybe we're kind of veering into stretch chain territory, but like the, the Captain K of it, you know, having his mark as well, kind of separating him from the rest of the Nazis. Changes him, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and he's no longer this like model of Aryan perfection, you know, he's sort of like defected right. youth who's like limping a lot. And I think even Elsa like, you know, draws a picture of him and calls him like a Doomkopf or whatever. And he's got this sort of like horrible Frankenstein face, you know, when they're first meeting each other. Um, but that, you know, that is sort of his sign and his sort of differentiator to show that, you know, I'm not wearing the uniform, whether it's like a colored cape or a scar or a limp or whatever, you know, it's a good way to kind of identify that you're different than other everyone else. Well, that was our wonderful discussion of the film Jojo Rabbit. We're going to take a quick break, grab some water, and we'll come back and we'll kind of rate the film on a scale of one to five Jewish stars. And we'll also talk about some categories that Harry's going to talk to us to introduce us to. Um, so we'll be right back. Welcome back to Jews on Film. We are here with Becky Bronstein talking about Jojo Rabbit. Now is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are going to talk about the ratings of the film on a scale of one to five Jewish stars. But first, Harry has some special categories for us. Harry? So let's start off with the first question, which is, what is the most Jewish scene in this film? And I think this is an interesting one. We, we spoke earlier that this is a little bit of a Nazi film. I mean, obviously not sympathetic towards the Nazis, but about, you know, these Nazi characters. But I think there were definitely some, you know, Jewish, Jewish-focused scenes in the movie. So I wanted to hear your thoughts, whoever wants to take it first. But what would you say was the most Jewish scene in the movie? Hmm. I mean, it's a tough one. There's not that many because it's really Elsa is like our Jew in the film. So every film, every scene with Elsa really, but specifically for me, I liked sort of this, like, uh, I would almost call it like a Talmudic argument with Jojo about like artists, Jewish artists. Beethoven, Einstein, Bach, Gershwin, Brahms, Wagner, Mozart, musicians. Is that all you have? Rilke. Oh yeah, of course, your favorite Rilke. Jewish mother. Dietrich, then. Houdini. No, that's impossible. Believe it, brother. Just ask Bessara, Modigliani, Menray, Gertrude Stein, Mr. Moses, and the King of the Mall, Jesus Christi. Amen. Pew, pew, pew. Well, you're just saying any old name now. I've never heard of these people, and now I'm fed up. All this back and forth of them naming all these artists and, and painters and musicians and things like that, for me, it felt very uh, frenetic and chaotic, and so that's my vote. It, it sounds like you're stepping a little bit on stretch of the pod. <laughs> that was uh, 
the the Talmudic. I, I think it's a good reach. I, I definitely oh, okay. see that in there. But that is, uh, you know, I I didn't, that wasn't the first word that came to mind in their debate. But I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I got some good stretches I, for I later. Yeah. 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 Not to worry. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Becky? Was there any scene that felt particularly Jewish in this movie to you? Yeah, I feel like I already mentioned them, but like the the scene where where Elsa sort of grabs Jojo and like gets him in a headlock and tells him about you know I, my people are descended from people who wrestled with angels were chosen by God. I mean that that's very Jewish and that's you know an uncommon Jewish thing to hear. I mean the story of you know like we these are stories from the Torah you know that she's sort of referencing and like the fact that we've got this like tough like I mean you know she probably knows Krav Maga like she's, she's a tough <laughs> yeah. And I liked that. Um, so that that to me was like, yeah, you know, like spit up a little straighter moment. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah. Harry, how about yeah. yourself? I mean, I think if I was voting right now, it would definitely be that scene that you just said, Becky, because I, I agree like that. Like we said, was just tough, powerful Jew moment, a couple of biblical references, which was great, but also just like, you know, being Jewish, standing up for herself, kind of defining, you know, we say most Jewish, but defining Jewish as in a very courageous and, you know, articulate way, I think is awesome. And I love that. And I want to get behind that for the sake of, you know, adding some more content, throwing out another scene. Um, I think I want to just go back to the, the hell Hitler scene and just call that a, we, we called it a little Mel Brooksian. Right. I think if there is a Jewish yeah. yep. comedic tone yep. to this, it's, it's a very satirical film, but I think it has moments of ridiculousness yes. that I would say, put it in a little more of a Jewish category. Okay. I would say that was, uh, you know, no, I guess no Jews in that scene, but, you know, no Jewish characters, but definitely uh, a little bit of a Jewish scene. So I'll, I'll stick with that one. But I, I still think, Becky, I think you, you, you said my favorite. <laughs> and you were giving me a hard time for stretches, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we said it earlier. We said it feels sure, very sure, Mel sure. That's a, yeah, you know, yeah, Jewish. Yeah. Most Jewish scene can sometimes be content. That felt very Jewish, be, yes. Yeah, sometimes absolutely. It could just be feeling, exactly. <laughs> sure. So um, with that, I wanted to ask the second question, which is, does anyone have any stretches of the pod? You know, something that was a ridiculous take. Maybe you didn't want to get it off earlier, but, you know, clear in the runway. Here's your time to shine. Throw out, you know, the hottest take that you've got. Stretch of the pod. Daniel, you said you had a couple. I mean, this one is like, it's it's a little loose. Um, you know, I have a couple. So uh, let's talk about like uh, Jojo killing the rabbit. I thought of like the binding of Isaac, you know, the Akedat Yitzchak of sacrificing something you love. Um that's one stretch. Huh, and he and he kind of lets it go at the last yeah, second. Yeah, he's like, forget of. it. You know, he is told by a higher authority to sacrifice this thing that seemingly, you know, doesn't deserve to be killed. And he decides to not do it. Uh, some would argue, and he's better for it. You know, in the short run, he does get an exploding grenade and a whole, you know, <laughs> body in, bodily injury and everything like that. But it makes him a better person. Uh, the other one was just this... Um, you know, the haunting shot of the feet dangling, we see that a couple times. Um, and it just kind of reminded me of the the Purim holiday when Haman was hung from the gallows. Um, not not a direct nod to it, but that sort of that sort of uh I'm not gonna say Taika Waititi is a huge fan of the Megillat Esther and like, you know, uh drew inspiration from that. But that's you know, when I think of people hanging in the court square, uh that's where my mind went. Um any stretches from you, Becky or Harry? So Elsa, hiding in the walls. She's got a lot of spirit. She she wants to see the world. She hasn't gotten to see the world for a while. She finally gets out, right? She dresses up. They're dancing in the street. Whole world of possibility to her. She seems like the kind of adventurous spirit who might want to travel to another country, maybe the United States of America, where there's freedom and Jews and all sorts of things, right? So she moves to um, New York 
settles in Coney Island, um, sets up a very successful um, hot dog based restaurant chain and decides to name it. What's she going to name that very successful hot dog restaurant chain that she set up? Nathan's. So here's my conspiracy theory that she ends up founding Nathan's famous hot dogs, (laughs) which is, I would say, even if they're not Jewish, tangentially Jewish, we've accepted them. Kosher style. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Nathan is her fiance. Is that correct? Okay, yeah, great. Her Just for, you know, yeah. That is that. Ooh, that was amazing. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm hesitant to Google the timeline of like Nathan's when it's set up on Coney Island because I don't want. I got you. But, I got you. <laughs> well, I, I don't want it because I'm nervous. Oh, okay. <laughs> but oh my god, that's brilliant. Like no, that's I love it. I love it. That that's is a such great, a. That's a great strategy. That's great. It's amazing. And like, <laughs> I bet you know. I feel like I. I did go to Coney Island once and I thought I saw a picture of someone looking very, very similar to Elsa. <laughs> but I love that. That's a great totally. read. Harry. Very plausible. Airtight. <laughs> Airtight. Plausible, exactly. sure. Harry. When Taika listens to the pod, we'll reach out and we'll ask. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, th- those were two really good ones. I think, Daniel, when you were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, your biblical references and the hanging, it this, and I'm not even sure if I actually believe this stretch. I think it's just my excuse to get off a scene that I, I really liked. But I think this movie does really well with, uh, like, teasing this idea of not looking away from the violence, which mm-hmm. in some ways I think the movie's honestly a little bit guilty of because, like we've discussed, it really doesn't address it. But there's that amazing moment where, you know, they initially see the people hanging and, you know, Jojo's trying to look away and he's like, you know, and then, you know, his mother Rosie's like, Luke, what do they do? Are they good? Come on. Like, it's really important to kind of see the violence there. And I, again, I wanted to just shout out, I thought a really cool scene, that, that scene at the end when, you know, she obviously is, uh, when Rosie's hanging and, you know, Jojo follows the butterfly. Incredible scene. But one of the things I clocked this time is after we kind of see her legs floating, the movie does these like three cuts to just like these buildings kind of around and they're almost like witnessing what's happening. And if right. you look at them, they're that yes. style where they have those like two small windows and they kind of look like eyes, you know, all three of these oh, buildings okay. and, you know, go back, watch the scene. Maybe we'll clip it in, but you could just kind of see uh, like looking down. So I think this movie deals with that question of how can you confront vi- or how you have to confront violence that I actually think the movie doesn't do enough of ultimately, although I think we made the case for it's a kid's movie. It's not supposed to, but um. But I don't know. The stretch I was just going to throw in is, you know, we were talking about like that idea of uh, when when uh, the when Lote and his wife are kind of leaving Stone, they're kind of commanded, don't look at the violence. And, you know, we can get into the implications of why there they weren't supposed to versus here we are supposed to. But that idea of like when and how we're supposed to look at violence versus when, you know, it becomes too much and we're not supposed to, you know, look it head on. I think as uh, there could be a stretch made for a Jewish theme, but again, mostly just an excuse for me to talk about a really cool shot and a really cool scene that I uh, that I liked. I don't know how much of a stretch that was. I I want to congratulate all of us. We did such a terrific job on these stretches. <laughs> I feel like we came through. Um, those were those were great. I feel like um, you know the last thing is, you know, is this film good for the Jews, right? Um, and so. How do we feel, you know, having discussed the film top to bottom, we talked about some themes, some of the characters, some of the depictions, what was shown, what wasn't shown, you know, ultimately, Becky, how do you feel like this film was, you know, for the Jews? Is it a good film for the Jews? Not so good? Meh? You know, good, bad, that's a value judgment. I I think um, we are making a judgment, so I'd say yes, it is good. I think any time that we as Jews and, you know, Taika 
and being a Jewish filmmaker can take this subject matter that is so filled with trauma and so much detail and nuance and, and, and sort of reclaim any part of that through comedy, through lessening the power and, and the fear that some of those things still have over us. I, I, I'm always going to be in favor of that. I think when that's, when that's done well and thoughtfully and by, by Jews, I think that's important that it, it does sort of, um, it, it, I mean, you can never reclaim what happened in the Holocaust, obviously, but it, it does sort of take away that that sort of fear and the power and the ghost of those things that happen and, and puts it into the hands of people who can kind of uh, make it something that we're that we're thinking about, that we're crafting, that we're showing, that we're we're, we're able to laugh at these things that at once upon a time you you absolutely would not be able to laugh at. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really agree with that. I think that the Jewish representation that we get in the movie, um, I think as a movie as a whole, it's a satirical. It's making fun of, you know, Jewish enemies. I think that's a really uh, you know nice way to see the Gestapo and Hitler just kind of put down and made fun of. But the, the representation we do get of the one Jewish character, Elsa, you know, even though I wish there were more Jewish characters and there was more of Elsa, I think she was tough. She's fighting back like Again, it's it's maybe not the most honest to every moment in history, but I think you actually made a really good point, Becky, that anyone who's surviving has to be courageous and has to be deciding every day that they're willing to fight for a better world and they're willing to keep themselves. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it really actually is, you know, very pertinent and just uh, appropriate representation. So that all is really good. I think I reserve some, you know, thoughts about, well, if we make too much fun of this, you know, how does this, you know, how do people then think about the Holocaust? Do they not? But I think the movie is not responsible for the entire picture. I think, thankfully, there are probably tenfold, you know, not comedies about the Holocaust that have told this story. And there's, you know, and that that people, you know, if they're willing to seek it out, will get that full picture. So I think it's okay that this doesn't really brush up against some of the horror. But uh, I, I do think that that representation is really, I'm proud of it. I'm excited about, you know, the way that Jews are, are shown here. Daniel, how yeah. do you feel about it? I think I'll probably echo, you know, both of your points. Uh, you know, we have a, a Jewish filmmaker. Um, we have a very strong female Jewish uh, character who, you know, is a is a way to help uh, Jojo grow and learn more about the world. Um, I think by nature of the plot, you know, there's not a lot of Jewish content beyond what uh, Elsa's, you know, portrayal brings to the picture. I think, you know, overall, I think it's a good look. Kind of what you're saying, you know, that... We are missing some things, but it's mostly a, a movie about Jojo and Elsa is just a, a way to help Jojo kind of grow up a little bit and learn more about the world. So I'd say it's like a it's a pretty good showing for the Jews. You know, it's it's good for the Jews. Um, but in terms of let's talk about uh, our, you know, our next our next part is just, you know, rating the film on a scale of one to five stars of David, Jewish stars, whatever you want to call them, um, based on cast and crew content and themes so cast and crew you know people in front of the camera behind the camera the content is just the story of the movie and then the themes you know some of the stuff we talked about today uh, where is everyone feeling or how is and, everyone and specifically feeling? and i'll just remind everyone specifically rating how jewish it is you know yes. not the quality of the movie per yes. se but yes on a scale of how jewish is this movie keeping Thank in you. mind all the things that you just mentioned daniel was this a jewish movie i could start us off with some thoughts you know, I think, I think it's not like we said. It really is a movie that ultimately is its protagonist is a Nazi. Is this Nazi sympathetic character? Is this German character? You know, not Jewish. And the arc of the movie is really about his 
kind of overcoming that hate. And ultimately, you know, I think we do get a lot from Elsa and I think we get some of her character, but ultimately she is kind of this tool in a, in a certain sense towards his, you know, growth. It, it's She's kind of enabling his growth. It's, she doesn't really, I mean, she actually does overcome some things, right? She gets over some of her fear and, and insecurity and she kind of is is made to be brave by the end of it or braver than I think she already was. But um, but it, it, it's funny, like it doesn't, I think there is a more Jewish version of the story that follows Elsa and is about her Jewish experience and is about exploring what that means. And that kind of stuff takes a little bit of a backseat to let's watch these Nazi characters be ridiculous and this other Nazi character learn, you know, to get over his hatred and love someone. So I think counterintuitively, because it feels like, you know, it's centered on a Holocaust. It's about this character who's hiding. I don't think it's the most Jewish. I mean, we, we you said cast and crew content, you know, so director Taita Waititi is definitely, uh, you know, Jewish. And he imbibes this this Jewish spirit, this Jewish sensibility to the movie. So it's there. It's not like I'm about to give this a one out of five stars. But, you know, I think there is a more Jewish version of this story. And this movie opted to tell more of a coming of age story about this Nazi character. So, uh I'll hold off my number for the end once everyone gets a chance to throw out their words, but I'm kind of feeling a little bit middling about, you know, the actual Jewish number just because of what this could have been, I think. That's a tough one. I think um, I am, and I'm going to sound like Lenny Bruce here, but I, I think the story is not Jewish, but the film is Jewish somehow in my mind. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. not like, yeah, it's not full of like Jewish themes necessarily, but I think the style, the writing, the tone, the comedy, the sort of, general point of view that you have as the viewer i think taiko's point of view i think um it just feels like it was told and executed in a very jewish way um so and you know there absolutely are threads of judaism being expressed in there i mean you know elsa like fantastic you know character like you said i mean and, and there's that sort of like she's sort of representing the entire like surviving spirit of the jewish people at the time and i think does that very well yeah, it, it would be cool if there would have been more Jewish characters, but at the same time, I don't know what they would have done in this particular story. But again, right, yeah, I, I think well, I'm I'm torn because I feel like yeah, like is the story Jewish? Maybe not, but like film, 100, I think is <laughs> definitely Jewish. Yeah, it's uh, this is a tough one. I think you know you you know when you picked it, I was like, oh great, this is like you know Nazis, Holocaust, like we're gonna come in big on our numbers, things like that. But then you watch the movie and you understand where the book came from. It's really a coming of age story from Jojo's perspective. Uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson is also Jewish. Uh, Taika Waititi, like you mentioned, Harry is Jewish. So cast and crew, we kind of have that covered. I don't believe the author, uh, the original author, Christine Lunins is Jewish. Um, Interesting. But uh you know, none of the other cast is Jewish. I'm just thinking as as I'm kind of like talking through my answer, uh, you know, as they do kind of on the game shows, kind of vamp a little bit. And and I think, you know, content wise, again, it's Jojo's story. Elsa is uh, is someone who helps Jojo realize more about the world and her Jewish perspective, her Jewish thoughts, her insights help him grow. So I do like that part of it. Um, thematically, the sense of like being an other, that's something we kind of talk about a lot, you know, whether it's like having uh, scars or something up with your eye or having a flamboyant costume or, you know, there's there's this otherness that some of our characters um, have. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not hugely, uh, is it bullish? Is that right? I always mess this one up, bullish or bearish. Which one is like the you've got it. bullish, right? I'm not hugely, <laughs> I'm not hugely bullish on this film in terms of its uh, 
you know, in the pantheon of films we've covered, like where we're at with like the Jewishness of it. Still enjoyed the movie, to be clear. Um, but Harry, let's hear some numbers. Yeah, like I, I was thinking as you were saying that about, you know, our answers for good for the Jews. And like this really is a very, you know, in some ways it, it has proud Jewish moments if it's not, you know, fully the story's vantage point. And I love that uh, what you said, Becky, about it being not quite a Jewish story, but in some ways a very Jewish movie. So, you know, on the scale of like all the movies that have been made, you know, and if this is like the Jewishness that's coming through here, I'm still going to give it a pretty high score. I'm thinking like, a 3.75. So okay. inching towards that four, but not quite crossing that threshold because I think there are choices that this could have made if it was telling this kind of Holocaust story. And I think there are other Holocaust films that more deeply explore the Jewish experience and the Jewish trauma and the Jewish strength in a way that this movie just wasn't concerned with. But 3.75, I think I'm going to leave it at, not go all the way up there. Becky, how about yourself? Moment of truth, I, no pressure. I feel the same. Yeah, the, the one to five is such a narrow spectrum, you guys. This is torture. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I would oh, love yeah. to throw some increments in there between three Please. and four. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll go Get us 3. granular. 9. How about that? Because I think 3. as 9. a past okay. Jew, I think we are often, um, you know, at our we are often overlooked as Jews. And, and since, you know, me and Ty are in a similar boat, I'm going to give them the extra couple of decimal points. 3.9. Okay. He deserves that. I think that's I, fair. What about you, Daniel? I feel like the heel of the pod constantly. I'm going like 2.75 just because wow. I feel like it's. It's more Jewish than not, um, but ultimately it's not Elsa's story. You know, like I would have loved a spinoff, like you said, uh, you know, just to or a prequel or a miniseries or some sort of thing where we get like an eight part miniseries where we explore Elsa's roots and how she became such a, a wily, creative, tough Jew. And that would have been, you know, we'll cover that on a future episode, maybe. But, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like. There are elements of it, so maybe I'll add a little bit of spice that brings it up from the two and a half. But ultimately, you know, what this movie chose to be in terms of how much it depicted the Jewish experience, you know, I don't know. Am I am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe 2.753. I feel like I'm not in the three club. I, I don't want to be left out here. But uh, so maybe I'll go three. I'll go three. You know, I talked myself into a corner here. <laughs> but Very Jewish. I don't know. What can I do? Um, but Becky Bronstein, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time today. We really appreciate you taking the time today to to discuss Jojo Rabbit, a, a fun and complicated movie. I think, uh, you know, thanks for recommending it today. Um, I wanted to know if you could let our listeners know what you have going on and where they could find more information about you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you can find me online, BeckyBronstein.com. I am on all the social medias, Becky Bronstein on Instagram, Becky from Alaska on Twitter, if that still exists by the time this comes out, Becky Bronstein on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. No one watches YouTube anymore. Um, I had just directed a music video that I'm also in for the expats called Hey New Zealand. That's on YouTube. And I will be working on filming a short film version of my TV pilot, Cancer Culture, uh, which is about my cancer experience. And I don't have anything short and punchy, but you can also see me on Shrill on Hulu, Chad on Roku. Who, um, trinkets on Netflix and I have a half hour special on MGM plus which used to be epics that is called uh, it's part of a series called unprotected sets produced by Wanda Sykes it's really good very proud of it um uh, yeah <laughs> that's a million things right that, like I wish I had a short punchy I don't no that's great I <laughs> no, think well, we're gonna we're just gonna have to put a lot of links in the show notes but that sounds great Yes. Yeah. Link away. Thank you guys. You guys are so cool. This was very fun. Love it. I feel like I'm like back in like New York, like talking to my cousins right now. Like, great. It's awesome. Love it. I appreciate that. I'm as a, as a 
former one-time New Yorker. I appreciate that. Harry as a lifelong New Yorker who's currently <laughs> there. I think that's fairly accurate. Uh, you can find us at Jews on Film on a lot of things, at Jews on Film Pod, at some other things. We'll put all of our links to our uh, things in the, in our episode description. Uh, keep listening, and you can email us at JewsOnFilmPod at gmail.com if you have any recommendations for films you'd like us to cover or things that we got wrong. Maybe maybe you have some other thoughts about Jojo Rabbit. Please let us know. Bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Harry Ottensasser and Daniel Zana. Daniel edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film and subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.